Hi, buds. So, happy holidays. This is High Crime. I'm Kayla, and this is... Comfort! And what show is it? High Crime. <laughs> um, okay, so happy whatever you celebrate. We're doing this. Um, this is... I celebrate... My family celebrates Christmas, so I thought I'd do a Christmas murder. No, it is not John Bonet. Um, I really want to do that thoroughly. It's been, you know, a holiday week, so I really haven't done anything, so it was not going to happen. That's too much research. Also, I feel like it's kind of cliche to do it around Christmas. So many podcasts do, so maybe I'll do it, like, around my birthday. I don't know. I think we were the same age. I think we were both born in 1990, so that's really sad. But anyway, in typical fashion, uh, I am recording this on the 27th, so Christmas is already over, and that means this probably won't be edited and live until, like, New Year's, so... Whatever. You know what? 2020 is a dumpster fire. I've been so behind, but I'm gonna, I am really want to try to plan better for this podcast, but we'll see. But anyway, this is a Christmas murder from the early 1900s, and here we go. Ooh. I'm guessing you've probably never heard the Lawson family. I haven't. Cool. Okay. Um, in December of 1929, 43-year-old Charlie Lawson took his family into town, bought everyone new outfits, and this is the, you know, 1920s, so a family, their family was big, so that's eight people that he bought a brand new outfit for, and he took the family to a portrait studio, and they got a family photo, so that was, like, really fucking expensive, and, like, nowadays it's normal, well, maybe not in 2020, but, like, Generally, it's normal to, like, get a family photo done before Christmas, and then you send it out as your holiday card. Yeah. Obviously, this was 1929. That wasn't a thing. Portraits you have to, like, sit for forever. It's, like, all this crazy contraption, whatever. So, like, this was, like, a really big or Like, this was a big deal that they were getting family photos. And it was so random because Charlie Lawson, he was a t- tobacco farmer from Stokes County in, I believe, North Carolina. I'll say it later, though. So, like, he really didn't make a lot of money, and Lawson was, like, really frugal. He came from a sharecropping family, so he, like, scraped together money just to buy uh, the family's home, which was a 200-year-old farmhouse that many described as ramshackle. So I'm guessing that nice. I'll show you a picture. It is pretty, like, it's, like, like, you say farmhouse, and I picture, like, I picture, like, a lot of, like, wood and brick and just, like, very, like, open and lots of light coming into it. And, like, no, it's, like, a pile of wood. Like, it's not, like, a beautiful house you'd find, like, in Tennessee now. Um, So, oh, yeah. And so he, like, scraped together money to buy this house that was near his brother's farms in Germantown. Oh, sorry, North Carolina. And here I have a picture... This was the house. Sheesh. Yeah, it's it's more like, I think an, a more apt description would be a cabin. Yeah, it's like very western. Yeah, a very old cabin. There's like chicken wire around the front. There's two chimneys for some reason. And then they also had this barn. And that was just like their barn, you know. Very old. It's a blurry sepia-tone like photo. Yeah, no, literally, because that's not, like, they're not trying to be fancy, like, oh, we don't need a front door on this one. That's, like, the di- literally the <laughs> difference, like, um, oh, and the chimneys. 
Okay, so they lived in that little house. Like, they didn't make a lot of money. That year, winter had been really harsh. There was a lot of snow, deep snow. So it made the year all the more stressful and costly because it was so cold. So it was just really strange that this man who had always been kind of poor and scraped by suddenly decided to not only get a portrait done, which is expensive, but also have get his whole family new outfits for the portrait. And so, you know, people were like, okay, whatever. Weeks later, so this is Christmas Day, 1929, Charlie's 17-year-old daughter, Marie, woke up early so she could bake a two-layer cake with icing. And I'm sorry to say this, topped with raisins, which I guess was Uh, something you did in the 20s. Now, I'm not saying I hate raisins. Like, they can be baked into something. It's just a weird topping. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know. Later that afternoon, Charlie's middle daughters, 12-year-old Carrie and 7-year-old Maybelle, left the house to to pay a visit to their aunt and uncle. However, buckle in, they were surprised and met by their father outside. He had been waiting behind the tobacco barn that I showed you with a shotgun. Ooh. So he shot both of his daughters. Remember, they were 12 and 7. He shot both of them, and if that wasn't already enough, he then bludgeoned them, and then he drug their bodies into the tobacco barn. And then this kind of gave me Ronnie DeFeo Jr. vibes, which that's the Amityville horror murder. The real life, like the not, the like ghost story, the real life murder. Um, But that was 45 years after this, because we're still in the 20s. But then after doing that, he headed into the home where he shot his 37-year-old wife, Fanny. Actually, not even in the home yet. She was sitting on the porch. So now three people in his family are killed. Um, after he shot her, 17-year-old Marie and four-year-old or 17-year-old Marie, four-year-old James, and two-year-old Raymond, you know, didn't really obviously understand what's happening, but saw him shoot their mother, so they ran inside to hide. But, I mean, we saw the house. Like, it's a little shack. Like, there's not really anywhere to hide. So Charlie finds them, shoots all three of them. And then he bludgeoned Mary Lou, who was a literal baby. That was their youngest child. She was, like, four months old. And her cause of death was a fractured skull. So that's really depressing. Yeah. Weirdly enough, or lucky enough, I guess, a 16-year-old Arthur... The oldest son, he had been sent on an errand that morning, actually, by his father. So he thought, so normally for the Lawson family, the tradition on Christmas was the the son and the father would go out uh, rabbit hunting. So, like, it was super normal to hear shots ring out on Christmas because people were rabbit hunting. That morning, his father sent him uh, in town to the store to buy shotgun shells for their annual rabbit hunt. Okay. So Arthur is the only one in the family who's not killed at this point, and the father. He Arthur's in town. Charlie. So Charlie, after killing, after he finished killing everyone, he arranged the bodies inside the house with pillows under their heads and their arms in a what was described as a funereal pose. Psycho. <laughs> yeah. The two girls who were in the barn, of course, there weren't pillows in the barn, so he put their heads on rocks. Yeah. Uh, yes, I said this. It was normal to hear shots and no one thought anything was wrong. 
But then relatives stopped by to try and wish the Lawsons a Merry Christmas, and they found the untouched cake and a bunch of arranged dead bodies. Some people guess that because Arthur was larger than his father, that that might be why Arthur, or that's, bleh, that might be why Charlie sent him out that morning to get shots, mm-hmm. shotgun shells, because he figured that Char- uh, Arthur would try to stop him from, you know, committing familicide. The worst part of the story is that no one really knows the motivation. As the police checked out the scene, Charlie paced around a tree, seemingly for hours, based on his footprints and the blood in the snow. Yeah, he stopped to wash his bloody hands in a creek on the way. And when he left the house, he brought the family's dog, Sam and Queen, into the woods with him. And then they're never mentioned again, so I'm hoping that they ran away. When the crowd of neighbors that had gathered at the house heard another gunshot hours later... They figured they knew what that meant, and Charlie had shot himself. Police found two notes on his person, but neither one of them were complete thoughts. One note said, nobody to blame but, and the other said, troubles can cause. So that was really frustrating. (laughs) Some think that the crime was because Charlie had suffered head trauma a few months prior. However, um, they like end up taking his brain and like looking at it at Johns Hopkins. And they actually found that there was no correlation between any kind of like physical issue or damage and his behavior. So it, it wasn't that. The family's bodies were first brought to a Walnut Cove funeral home. However, it was too big of a task for them because it was eight bodies. So they had to travel to Madison's Yelton Funeral Parlor above Penn Hardware Co. at 104 West Murphy Street. Now another, you know, macabre fact is that the current owners of what is called Madison Dry Goods actually have a museum upstairs That includes the rooms and tools originally used to embalm and autopsy the eight bodies. So there's like a death museum, a death mortuary mortuary museum that you can see. That's kind of cool, though. Would you go to that? Yeah. (laughs) I would. The family were all buried together in a Stokes County cemetery. However, while there were eight bodies, there were only seven caskets. This is so sad. Because four-month-old Mary Lou was laid to rest in her mother Fanny's arms. Sad. And some say, this is just like a dumb like ghost story thing. And some say that when leaves fall in that cemetery, they fall on all the graves except Charlie's. A large crowd gathered around the coffins following the funeral. Like people like traveled to come see this because it was so many bodies and it's like such a small town in North Carolina. Like nothing ever happens. Uh, the, the Lawson home actually became kind of like a tourist destination. Like, I don't know if anybody's seen um, dark tourist on Netflix. Have you seen that? So it's the guy, there was this documentary that if you haven't seen it, you absolutely should watch it. It's a mind fuck. Do you know the movie Tickled? Okay, it's so good. I'm not going to tell you anything about it because it's one of those things where, like, it's better if you go in not having any clue what it is. Um, but the guy who made that documentary, I think his name is David Ferrier. He's from New Zealand, and he's a, like, 
journal. He's a journalist and he does a lot of like entertainment travel stuff. He's, I, he's adorable. I love him. But so he made that movie and then he did this show on Netflix called dark tourist. And he would go to like, like he went to, um, like a tour, a Jeffrey Dahmer tour. And he went to, uh, this like crazy crime museum that's in an old prison. And like, he, he just goes, he does all this kind of like crazy dark tourism. But so he is a show like that. But so that's what this became. It was made official when one of Charlie's brothers, Marion opened the crime scene for tours. So the house fully became a museum. They didn't clean it. So the, the room where the murders happened is still like covered in blood and like, yeah, I think, I think there's a picture of it. What the hell? Yeah. Like it's, you know, black and white, but like, that's like all, that's all blood. So like people were just like walking through that. And actually that cake that I mentioned earlier, Marie's Christmas cake, it was on display under a glass case. And some people even reached under the glass to steal some of the raisins as like a creepy souvenir. Like people were just like taking pieces of the hat, like just taking shit as like, you know, memorabilia of this like tragic family annihilation. Later, Marion defended his decision to make the house a museum, saying he was raising money for the only survivor of the massacre, his nephew Arthur, so that he could pay the farm's mortgage. And fun fact, mobster John Dillinger was rumored to have been one of the visitors to the attraction, and uh, he and his girlfriend apparently like went and saw the house, and he was he even stopped by... When he was in that area, he stopped by, like, some federal officer's house and left a note, like, ha ha, like, you were near John Dillinger and you didn't catch him. What a guy. Yeah, quite the character. <laughs> Sadly, Charlie's final living son, Arthur, who had fortunately missed the uh, shootout, he was, in 1945, he was killed in a car accident. So, not a lot. Jeez. That family was just kind of cursed, I guess. But despite all of the early 1920s murderinos and looky-loos who went to check out this crime scene, no one really knew why he did it. And there were reports his behavior had been a bit odd in the months beforehand, but it was like nothing really crazy and no one could really find anything out. But then in 1990, one of Charlie's nieces, Stella Lawson Bowles, uh, dropped a bombshell. There was a book written about the massacre, and in it, Bowles revealed that at the funeral for the Lawson family, Bowles revealed uh, that when she was at the funeral for the Lawson family, she heard other relatives talking about how Fanny had confided in them that she had discovered incest in the family oh, no. not long before that fateful Christmas. And so, yeah, Fanny was the mother, the matriarch. And apparently Fanny was stressing because there there was a relationship between her husband, Charlie, and their 17-year-old daughter, Marie, which is disgusting. Yeah. And, you know, the article said relationship, but I feel like if a father is having sex with his teenage daughter, like, that's rape and incest. That's not yeah, a relationship. Not that's not anything that, no. So in the weeks just before Christmas, Marie actually also confided in her friend Ella Mae Johnson at a sleepover. And she told Ella Mae that she was pregnant with her father's baby 
and that both of her parents knew about the pregnancy. So it was like a family secret. And then the Lawson family's neighbor, Sam Hill, said that what actually happened, and honestly, this is what sounds more accurate, is that Charlie forced himself on Marie. And then when he found out that she was pregnant, he threatened, and this was a quote, that there would be some killing done if Marie ever told anyone that she was pregnant with his child. So some speculate that you can tell in the family photo that they took that there's something wrong. I mean, I honestly think this is like, I feel like it's one of those things where you're watching like one of those ghost hunting shows and they'll like play some weird sound and they'll be like, oh, he said get out. And then you're like, listen, listen. And they, they play it for someone else. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's saying get out. But it's like, I wonder if he would have guessed get out was the phrase if he had played it with no context, you know? Like once they say it to you, you're primed to hear it. It's like the all those videos that go viral that's like, it was like Yanny or whatever. I don't know. But they said in the photo, Marie, she's standing in the back row and she's standing next to her father. And... She is staring straight ahead at the camera, but Charlie is gazing off to the left with a small smile on his face, and his wife Fanny is standing on his other side, looking away and holding their four-month-old daughter. And this, this is the photo. Yeah, it's, like, really creepy. This is the family that he, like, family photo, I mean... That he, like, randomly decided he needed. I don't know if he was just like, I need the world to know who we were since I'm going to kill all of us. Maybe it was guilt because he's fucking repulsive and, you know, raping his teenage daughter. But I don't know. Also, family annihilators, a lot of times they kind of delude themselves into thinking. Because usually with suicide, it's kind of like you feel... You feel like you're a burden and your family would be better off without you. That's like the mindset you get into. Whereas with family annihilators, they're thinking, you know, my shame will tarnish their reputation. So it would be better for them if they were dead. But they choose to stay alive. Like um, John List, like he's, he's such a fucking prick. But like he killed his whole family to cover up this financial shame. But then he got to start a new life. Fucked up. But Charlie did uh, kill himself and he left two unfinished notes. But I mean, one of the articles is like after, yeah, this is, this happened over 90 years ago. But I mean, I feel like that seems pretty, like if he raped his daughter and then people were going to find out because she's pregnant and like, they wouldn't want to just like, they wouldn't want to admit it was the dad, but they also wouldn't want to say it was anyone else. Cause this is like the 1920s. You have to think, that if a young, like if a young woman is pregnant and she's not married, like they're going to like shun her and that's a shame on the family. So maybe he thought it was better to kill, kill his whole family and himself than have it come out that there was incest. I don't know. It seems a bit, bit much. Yeah, but that's family annihilator. It's yeah. like John List literally killed his entire family because he lost his job and the family was in debt and he was keeping it a secret. So a lot of times they kind of delude themselves. They 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 have this like big self-importance and they delude themselves into think like everything they view is through like their eyes. Like they're like, this is a shame on me. 
and my family would be happier to be dead than living with it. And it's like, hi, no, I would much rather be broke and alive. Thank you. Um, I'm very familiar with that life. But yeah, I don't know, a really sad, strange thing. Really eerie that he gets the picture taken in advance. It's very, like I said, it reminds me of the Amityville murders, that it's like the shotgun and he's going one by one, killing everyone in his family. Um, Although, again, that came later, so maybe he was influenced by that. I mean, I don't think so. I think he just wanted to kill his family. But that's a whole other episode. I think that's early on. We have an episode on the Amityville horror. (laughs) Oh, I remember listening to an episode of My Favorite Murder, and I think Karen does this story. And I just remember the raisin bit. Like, it was so weird that people literally, like, fucking stole raisins from an old cake that belonged to dead people. Like, like I could see myself maybe go, well, not even like, like, for example, there's the, um, I don't know. I'm too high to remember it, but there's like, there are certain landmarks in LA. I mean, obviously the Sharon Tate murders, the LaBianca murders, you know, those, you can go, go see those places. But to me, that feels a little like if someone else is living there, I don't want to kind of like disrespect them, but if it was like a museum, like I would definitely go, but I wouldn't like take something. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I believe in bad energy and like curses enough that I don't think I would want to take a remnant of like a horribly tragic, like negative site. But yeah, I don't know. But so that is the story of the Lawson family. Ooh. It was very short, but I mean, that works. Cause then it'll be really easy for me to edit. Um, and also my, Co-host kept falling asleep, so uh, we, wa- problems. we wasted no time on uh, banter, <laughs> as they say on Love Island. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Normally, I would be like, oh, New Year's is coming up. It's like a new year or whatever. But, like, I just don't know how long we're going to be in quarantine and, like, not able – like, L.A. is so bad. I just read – I just saw an article that was – 10 or one person dies from COVID every 10 minutes in Los Angeles County. Like that's fucking terrifying. So we're clearly going to be in this like quote unquote new normal for a long time. So I don't really know how different 2021 really will be, but hopefully we can at least like work on ourselves and mental things and maybe getting stuffed. I know a lot of people who are slowly kind of redecorating their apartment or their homes Um, so hopefully there's some kind of positive goal. I don't want to say goal because I don't want to make it sound like resolutions because New Year's resolutions, I feel like there's so much pressure and you feel like you have to do some kind of complete 180 life change immediately. And that's not really how that kind of thing works. So not necessarily, not necessarily resolutions, but just maybe something you want to accomplish in 2021. Um, And don't be so hard on yourselves because we're in a time of social, civil unrest and there's a pandemic and there was an election. And if you're in the U.S. and well, I mean, other places have elections, but there was the scary election in the U.S. And, you know, we still have Trump and there's been like no stimulus support for I know people's unemployment is running out and it's just really hard, but, um, 
I don't know. Hopefully some things will be better in 2021. And I don't know if I'll record another episode before then. Probably not since this took me like how many months. But happy holidays and happy weird indoor by yourself New Year's. Um, smoke weed, watch a comforting movie. Don't feel like you have to watch all the Oscar nominees and the like popular um, festival movies because I know I've been avoiding anything that I know will make me sad just because like, I don't know why watch like, yeah, it's a work of art and like, congratulations. And I respect that. I used to watch every Oscar nominee before the Oscars, but like if watching the office is going to help me be able to sleep at night and not need to take a Xanax, like fuck it. I'm just going to watch the office for the hundredth time. And I think that's totally fine. And I don't think we should be ashamed or beat beat ourselves up over it because it's comforting. Um, That's why I like watching labyrinth all the time because it's nostalgic and it's safe and it's familiar. And yeah, I guess that's, that's pretty much it under 30 minutes here. Um, yeah. Happy new year guys. Thanks for guys and girls and everyone who identifies however else, I guess, I guess that's it. And please check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's all the same handle. Basically it's high crime pod five-star reviews on Apple podcasts really help us. And I announced a a giveaway a while back, but not enough people really entered. So, I mean, if you do a five-star review and want to send me a message, I'll start collecting entries and pick a winner for a $25 Amazon gift card. And otherwise just come hang, come hang out with us on social media. And hopefully this weird dark story somehow feels comforting. I don't know, but murderinas, no. Uh, And later, Buzz.